0: Hello, and welcome to the Bipolar Feminist Podcast. This is your host, Nikita Ramkisun, and this week is quite exciting because I'm interviewing Astro Kirsten, or Kirsten Banks, who is an astrophysicist and is educating people about astrophysics on social media spaces like TikTok. Kirsten used to work at the Sydney Observatory and is now studying her PhD. <laughs> I first encountered Kirsten on a TikTok live stream and was only meant to stay for five minutes, but then she was talking about black holes and I stayed for the entire hour. So let's get into it.
1: I used to work at Sydney Observatory as a tour guide for about five long years. And I loved my position there, but I'm doing my PhD at the University of New South Wales at the moment.
0: And what's your topic of your PhD?
1: So my topic is basically it's a mixture of galactic archaeology, so studying the fossil record of our Milky Way galaxy, which is held inside the stars of the galaxy, and also a little bit of astroseismology as well. so, We can study how these stars oscillate and change in brightness from those oscillations and work out what's happening on the insides of these stars to give us more information about what kind of star we're looking at.
0: Wow. Okay, that's a lot to take in, especially from from a non-scientific perspective. How would you explain that to somebody who's not completely scientific?
1: So how I would explain that is the stars are what we use to work out what this galaxy was like back when they were born. So when we look at a star, we can work out what it's made of by dissecting its light into a full rainbow, its full spectrum, and patterns in that rainbow tell us what the star is made of, what chemicals, what atoms exist in the stars. From that, Mm. we can also get a good idea of how old those stars are as well. And also we can model where those stars have traveled throughout their lifetime. So if we can piece all that information together, we can kind of rewind time to the time and place where these stars were born to put together a bit of a puzzle of what our galaxy was like in the past.
0: That's incredible. One of the people that I met recently is a paleoclimatologist who studies ice cores to tell us what the climate was like and what conditions were like through studying glaciers. Yeah, it's and so, so it's cool. a similar kind of vibe, just with stars.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Oh, that's absolutely incredible. What does it take to become an astrophysicist?
1: Lots of physics and a little <laughs> bit of maths. So I went to university to do a bachelor degree in science with a major in physics. There was an option in another university near where I grew up that had an actual astrophysics degree. However, I feel like that would have been very similar of the foundations. You set up this foundation knowledge of physics, of how the world works around you, and then apply that to whatever specific area of research you'd like to look into. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's looking at stars and seismology. And that foundational physics knowledge really, really helped me pursue that research career.
0: But now the next question, although it's worded a little bit differently, is slightly loaded. Okay. What would it take for a woman to become an astrophysicist given all the intersections that we've already spoken about?
1: Mm. So what I would say is, or well, at least the thing that really helps me push forward in this very male dominated career is to not care about any of that. And it's easier said than done for many people. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge that. I grew up with brothers, so I was always in a male dominated space anyway yeah um even in school I was the last woman in my class in my physics class to finish at the end of our of my schooling so but I still came first so thank you very hey. much so, like that didn't matter to me early on mm-hmm. but continuing through and getting higher up into university and sometimes when I would meet someone new who's in the field of science or engineering especially often it tends to be engineers that could just be the types of engineers that I happen to meet Mm -hmm. but one comment I did get once which stuck with me of like oh this is actually really hard for many women to stay in this field is oh how many men do they have to turn down to give you the position Hmm. yeah oof, indeed Yeah. So I think a really important thing for women to strive and thrive in this field is to be a bulldozer and just do it and go for Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Leave those people behind who should be left behind and find a community to help support you as well. Because women supporting women, we're unstoppable when
0: we do that. Absolutely. And uh, this is the kind of uh, community that I'm, I'm hoping to create in that when I was younger, I used to think, oh, I'm one of the guys and I'm not like those other girls. And only recently <laughs> am I finding such value in the relationships I have with women in my life. And when women support women, it is the most powerful and empowering thing.
1: 100 percent. Yes. And even with uh, smaller minority communities as well, like being Aboriginal, my mob has been hugely helpful in keeping me grounded and keeping me going every single day when things get tough like Mm -hmm. it's those it's those communities where you really feel like you belong and you're supported Mm -hmm. that is what keeps you going every single day when those days get very very hard
0: and I was just talking to a friend of mine who's from Adelaide and he was saying that you know that it's the indigenous cultures and the brown cultures essentially, who really value staying together, sticking together, and forming these kinds of bonds. So how has being part of an Indigenous culture contributed to your career?
1: I think, like I said before, it's really just the support and the, the mm-hmm. way of thinking as well. Like, at the moment, I'm actually learning my traditional language, Wiradjuri language, So I've been able to meet so many more mob who are revitalizing the language as well. And in learning the language, we're learning a lot about culture that I didn't get a chance to learn about uh, when I was younger. Because family history, my nan was never allowed to speak language, never allowed Mm -hmm. to talk about culture for fear of having possibly her sisters and brothers taken away from the family Mm very awful things like that so I didn't get that upbringing that often happens with culture Mm -hmm. but now learning about it and reframing the way that I view relationships and community Mm -hmm. from this Indigenous lens has made it so much more incredible and just to have that different way of thinking connection through Indigenous mob and through that community is just I value it so so highly like it is one of the reasons why I'm alive today, like these guys keep me going.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. And like, it's the same with Indian culture. I mean, even though growing up in South Africa, it's like, we still have a very similar vibe. It's all about food. It's everybody up in your business and everybody supports you no matter what you do, even if they have their criticisms, you know?
1: It's the best way to go.
0: (laughs) It really is. What do you think are the largest barriers, not just for women, but for women of color to enter STEM fields?
1: Well, there's that history of women and women of color, especially being excluded from the field or Mm -hmm. being treated as less than in the field. And that sort of ideology is less so these days, but it still sticks around. It's still ingrained Mm -hmm. in the community in different ways, whether it be through microaggressions or whether it be through outright racism or sexism. So I'm not really sure what the solution is right now, but Mm. like I said, those communities make it so much easier.
0: Yeah. How do you receive misogyny? Because I've seen comments on videos and in lives every now and then on TikTok where it's like this, these backhanded compliments mostly. Yes. (laughs) how do you deal with that?
1: I try to laugh it off as much as I can Mm -hmm. because the volume, if I wasn't able to just laugh off at least a couple of them or a good percentage of them, the sheer volume of it would really push me off these platforms Mm -hmm. and not want to engage because no one wants to experience that. So to try and find some laughter in it or to try and find some sort of a lesson to teach from that and to set boundaries on these social media platforms I think is really beneficial and make an example of these types of things where look I don't want to experience this on this platform please don't do this and if other people see that and recognize that then the community can come together And when that happens again because inevitably it will happen again unfortunately that's just reality
0: yeah the
1: community will no okay that's a boundary that Kirsten has explicitly put out there I'm going to step in and help and take this burden off of Kirsten so she doesn't have to deal with it or have to sit with it either
0: (laughs) it does come back to community in 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 that sense like especially in lives with your moderators and your moderators understanding what you need in that space at that time absolutely yeah and so going from TikTok, I, in preparation for this, I listened to an interview from 2020 when you were talking about Indigenous culture and the stars and the relationship between Indigenous cultures, the stars and astrophysics. And can you tell me a bit more about that in terms of the history and the connection to the land in terms of astrophysics as well?
1: Absolutely. It's it's, the connection to the land is so, so incredible because Mm. the way that we view the stars in a Western ideology is pretty stars. And like you've got the science and the physics of it as well. But you look Mm. at the constellations and you see these patterns and that's kind of where it stops. Yeah. But with indigenous culture, we see those stars, we see those patterns, we have stories about them, that those stories match and mirror what's happening on the ground. And they have lessons in them as well, all these stories mm. that we learn from the stars. So one of my favorite examples is always uh, Gugoman. So Gugoman is the emu in the sky. It's so the name of it in Wiradjuri language. Mm. And The emu in the sky is great for other reasons as well, because it completely changes the way you think about constellations. Because constellations, how we generally tend to learn about them is okay, you have stars up in the sky and you connect the dots between some of them and they make some sort of image or pattern. Uh With the emu in the sky, it's not with stars, it's with the dark patches of the Milky Way galaxy
0: wow yeah
1: it's really cool so if you go to a really dark place with no light pollution or very little light pollution in the southern hemisphere it's the best place to see it you will see during winter when the milky way stretches across the sky you can mm-hmm. see these dark patches in that milky way stretching and those dark patches are not really an absence of stars but instead an abundance of gas that's blocking the light from distant stars so it's this dust and gas that exists in the spiral arms of our Milky Way galaxy. And if you look hard enough at it, if you find the Southern Cross, which is an iconic constellation mm-hmm. from the Southern Hemisphere, just below and to the left of the Southern Cross is this dark triangle looking nebula or cloud of gas. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the head of the Emu. And then continuing to the left of that, there's a long column. That's the neck. The big bulge of the Milky Way galaxy is the body of the Emu. And then there are some legs hanging out at the end as well. And once you see that EMU, you just, you cannot unsee
0: it. I'm trying to picture it now because this is something that I've photographed for years. Like I've tried to photograph the southern sky in as many places as I possibly could. And now I'm trying to picture it and I just, no, I need to go out and see it now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's so, so cool. But that's just that surface level, right? That's just seeing Mm. it. But the story about it tells us so much more about what's happening on the land. So when Ngogomen, the emu, is rising above the eastern horizon just after sunset, this is usually around early May, the late-ish part of the first half of the year, it looks like it's running along the horizon. And so that matched and mirrored back down to the ground tells us that the emu are now running around on the ground looking for a mate. But later in the year, when Mm -hmm. the earth has moved further around the sun, the body of the emu moves up higher and higher in the sky. And then once it's directly overhead after the sun goes down, usually in the coldest part of the year, so in a few months' time, it'll be around that time, The emu's body now, in our perspective, transforms and looks like instead an emu egg in a nest. And that indicates to us that the emu eggs are now in the nest and we can go out and go and collect them.
0: That's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's like a seasonal menu. It's so cool.
0: But it's also that link of storytelling and just how Indigenous cultures are so connected to the land and nature, but it's also quite scientific in nature. So tell me about a day in the life of an astrophysicist, but specifically your work.
1: So a day in the life for me usually starts with getting up and starting my content for the day. So Mm -hmm. making my videos for TikTok. So maybe I'll do one or two a day, depending on the day. So get up, make some content, get ready to post that for later in the day. Then I start to think about going to work and getting some research done. So sometimes, well, for the last two years, I've been mostly doing that at home because of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. but recently I've been going into uni again and actually being at my desk at the university, which has been fantastic. I've been having lunch with the other PhD students. It's the best time ever. Um, But I go out and sit down at my computer, probably do some coding, do some analysis on my PhD project, make a plot or two, write a bit of a paper. And then, by the time it comes to the end of the day, I come home and I relax by watching TV and just turning off my brain.
0: I like the turning off the brain part at the end of the day. I, I haven't been able to do that in years. Um, oh,
1: it's it's very important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, four twenty in the morning here, yeah, and I'm still working. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a, a, an unusual thing for me to be awake at this hour. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, the the, the turning off the of the brain is yeah. I can't do it. Not these days, not as a freelancer, at least. I've also been applying for PhDs and...
1: Uh, oh, how exciting.
0: Oh, it is a grueling process. <laughs> <laughs> like just getting the, the, the proposal tweaked for every university and like mm. just that long application process. It's just... Ugh. But anyway, um, what was it like working at the observatory?
1: Oh, it was so much fun. It's funny, though, because I I got that job at the observatory in my first year of university. So fresh out of high school. But when in high school and in primary school, I hated public speaking. I was terrified of it. But the reason why I started working at Sydney Observatory, and I'll give the short version of this story, because it is kind of funny. But walking through the hallway at uni one day, I walked past someone who I recognized. I'm like, hold on, who is that? And we both turned around and looked at each other. I'm like, we went to primary school together and then different high schools. So we hadn't seen each other for six Mm -hmm. years. But uh, he ended up asking me out on a date and took me to Sydney Observatory. And while Ooh. at the observatory on a tour i was talking to the tour guide we were looking at venus and the telescope during the daytime and venus looked amazing it was a nice thin crescent because it's closer to the sun than we are it mm-hmm. does go through phases just like the moon does so i was talking to the tour guide about oh would mercury do that as well because it's closer to he's like oh you know your stuff about space you should apply for a job here I'm like okay so i did <laughs> That's cool. And then a few months later, I got a job. Um, Didn't go on a second date with the guy, but that's okay.
0: (laughs) I hope he's doing
1: well. (laughs) (laughs) But I absolutely loved this job at the observatory because I realized that while I didn't enjoy public speaking at school, it was probably because I didn't care about the topics I was talking about. Mm -hmm. And so it was really tough to speak in front of a group of people about something you don't care about. But I care a lot about space and I love space Mm -hmm. very much so that I fell in love with talking about space with these people. Like my favorite thing to do would be, actually, there are many favorite things that I did uh, at the observatory, but one of those was going into the planetarium. It's very cute little intimate planetarium. Only 18 people could really fit inside it at one time. And zooming in on these distant objects was so much fun, showing how the sky moves very fast and even in the telescope as well, when people see planets like Saturn for the first time, I get to share in that moment with them, that feeling that they get when they go, wow, that's a planet that's like millions of kilometers away. Like that is just, it was so special.
0: Yeah, it must be really special because I love planetariums. Our university also has one. And I used to just sit there for hours and eventually when when it closed uh, for the pandemic, I was like, but why? <laughs> I just no. want to sit here and <laughs> just do the things. I used to yeah. sit there and write quite often. Do you think working at the Planetarium actually helped the persona of Astro Kirsten as see on TikTok?
1: Oh, 100%. Because there's a lot of parallels with doing tours and being a tour guide to putting out content on social media, on a platform where you have so many different types of people from different backgrounds, both in general and both educational backgrounds as well. I got a lot of that training from the observatory because each tour, I would have two tours each night, completely different. Yeah. Each one will come up with different questions. There might be some kids in the first tour, maybe mostly young adults in the second tour. And you just get lots of different types of questions. And you have to, even if you go through the same sort of content, you have to adapt to how you present that mm-hmm. content for the audience that you have yeah. so i think that really prepared me to give me that foundation of communication to be able to do well on social media and making video content especially on tiktok
0: and speaking of tiktok who are your favorite creators
1: uh i love all my women in stem we've got astra mm-hmm. alexandra uh, mm-hmm. stellar arts so many incredible women in astronomy in stem who we all put out very similar content, but it comes with our own flavor, mm-hmm. and it's so much fun just watching them grow, watching us grow together. We have support networks like Stellar Arts, like Lacey and I. We we talk all the time mm-hmm. and just like vent with each other when things are annoying us on TikTok, yeah. <laughs> or help support each other when we're you know having a bit of a, a block with creating content. They're my favorite people on the app just Mm -hmm. because they make great content and they're great people at the same time and just we're all there to succeed and I just love that so much it's not a competition at all Mm -hmm. we're all just boosting each other and growing together
0: and I remember asking you in one of your lives if you've read The End of Everything oh yes
1: Katie Mack's book
0: yes yes I have by (laughs) Katie Mack and I finished reading it shortly before I asked you that question how accurate (laughs) is the entire idea of the end of the world and doomsday (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) In terms of astrophysics. In terms of astrophysics, everything in Katie Mack's book completely checks out. Like this, the full, she's a cosmologist. She is the expert in this sort of area. So it's very scary to think about it. But also there are many things before the end of the universe itself that will probably end us. Yeah. (laughs) For example, the sun uh, in a couple billion years will run out of hydrogen in its core And will start to expand into a red giant and it will snack on mercury gobble up venus probably engulf earth as well so that's not good (laughs) (laughs) it could be asteroid strikes it could be a gamma ray burst coming from the distant parts of the galaxy that just fries everything there are many things that could be doomsday-ish from an astrophysical perspective so let's just take it one day at a time (laughs)
0: Yeah I think so it it just got me thinking of a lot about psychological entropy because Mm -hmm. that's a part of what I'm writing about in my novel and I just I read the book cover to cover twice which brings me to my next question are you Mm -hmm. going to write a book at some point?
1: I I hope so I I do have I have contributed to a book which is possibly in the works at the moment it's just going through the the bit the thing that the 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 publishing process (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but yes no I would absolutely love to write my own book one day Mm -hmm. Uh, I just got to get through writing this thing called a thesis first
0: (laughs) yes of course the thesis comes first how do you bring in the identity that you have as not just an astrophysicist but as a woman and as an indigenous woman into your communications because your public speaking is phenomenal
1: oh thank you (laughs) um I think The main thing that I try to think about whenever I'm doing some sort of presentation, especially to kids or women or young women as well, is that when I was their age as the young girls and the young women and growing up and dreaming of becoming an astrophysicist, I didn't see anyone like me in that Mm. field that was accessibly visible. So, and while it didn't bother me at the time, I knew what I wanted to do and I went for it. You can't be what you can't see is a very common thing Mm. for so many people. Like so many kids may never consider becoming an astrophysicist because it was just never thought to be an option for them, where it is. It's an option for everyone. No matter what your background is, you can be an astrophysicist if it's what you want to do. So that's what I really try to think about every single time I go out on a stage or go out to make a TikTok is... I am being visible for Mm -hmm. those young kids, for those young women, for those young indigenous kids to show them, yes, these kinds of people exist in these fields. Mm -hmm. You can too.
0: Yeah. I got a postcard from a friend once that said she needed a hero. So that's what she became.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: And it got me thinking like, we need to be the the icons that we needed in our childhood.
1: We do, 100%.
0: And I absolutely love that. Well, now going back to the whole connection with the land, what does decolonizing science look like to you?
1: Decolonizing science to me is getting rid of this idea that Indigenous science is lesser than science Mm -hmm. because it's not. (laughs) They're (laughs) on the same level. It's not just Indigenous science. It is just science. It is a way of thinking that we see what's going on around us, we make predictions based on what we observe, and things happen. It's a very rudimentary idea of what science is, but you, mm-hmm. you kind of get the point. But yeah, yeah decolonizing science is just getting rid of this idea that Indigenous science is lesser in any way, shape, or form because it's not. It is yeah. science.
0: It's just science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have misconceptions about how we decolonize science because they're like, oh, no, this science is all written in history. And it just depends whose history you're looking at.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And just because, especially in Aboriginal culture, we didn't write things down. We were very oral culture, passing down stories and information through song, through dance, through cave paintings or carvings, which I guess is in a way writing down, but It doesn't stand up to the standard of science, but it's still the same thing. It's still passing on knowledge. It's still standing on the shoulders of giants, the ancestors before us. Uh It's all the same, just different flavor.
0: I like that. I really like that. And how do you think we start changing the so-called white science to include Indigenous cultures and especially the voices of Indigenous women?
1: Well, some of the things that are happening already that I'm seeing happening in the space in universities, in schools, is having that conversation, bringing Indigenous people into the room, into the classroom, elders, to come and talk to kids, to share their knowledge, the way that knowledge should be shared from that perspective and from that culture, Mm -hmm. as well as, and this is one of my favourite things as well, it's, it's a really cute way to get that conversation going, is just having cultural examples of content, So as an example, in physics, when you're talking about torque and projectile motion and forces and stuff, you can talk about this very neat tool called a woomera in Aboriginal culture. It's kind of like an extension to your arm. And if you attach a spear to the end of the woomera, it extends your arm to be longer. So when you throw it, if you throw with the same speed of your arm, the spear goes with more force because of that extension of the length of basically your axle from your Mm. shoulder and so that is physics in culture Mm. and using those examples in exams in lectures is a really nice way of just showing okay yeah this is acknowledging that this has been you this physics has been used for tens of thousands of years in Mm -hmm. this country
0: yeah do you feel that your social media and public presence has contributed to conversations about women in stem and women of color in stem
1: i can only hope even if it makes just a little bit of a difference, that'll make me happy because once we start having the conversation and start actually making action, things will change. They're slowly changing. We can Mm -hmm. still have a long way to go, but I hope that, yes, with my platform and with sharing these stories, whether they be from myself or boosting the stories from other women in STEM uh, that have gone through similar things to get that conversation started, show Mm -hmm. examples of what's not okay we can start to bring together a community that will stand up against those Mm. pretty bad things that happen sometimes.
0: And the last question that I have is from a friend. He's also a TikTok user named Skittles. And he asks, how big is a supermassive black hole using Muse's song for scale?
1: (laughs) Using Muse's song for scale? Um, Oh no, I don't know the units. (laughs) (laughs) I like the question. I like it. Really supermassive.
0: Really like super massive. Super,
1: okay. super massive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be using the time signature.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Possibly. Yeah. Possibly.
1: I'd have to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can, so I like, you, it. I you like can... those sorts of things as well, where like you think of, because um, in astronomy, we have ridiculous numbers. Like the mm. size of the most massive supermassive black hole is has a mass of 66 billion suns that is oh. what is 66 billion that is ridiculous I don't even know it's just a big number yeah. so putting things into perspective of something that's a bit more comprehensible and comprehensible is always good so I like the challenge thank you Skittles <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will tell him thank you so much for <laughs> thank for you doing.
1: awesome thank you so much thank you for such a great conversation and great questions this is really really good thank you.
0: <laughs> and yeah I'll uh, chat to you on live soon sounds great thank you for listening Again, this is your host, Nikita Ramkisun, and next week, we will be talking about girls' education. For real this time. I would like to thank my patrons for making this podcast possible. Should you wish to support me, please think about joining my Patreon and becoming a patron for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate directly to Nikki Starfish on ko